Hello, I'm Amanda Jezik, IDSA's Senior Vice President for Public Policy and Government Relations. Welcome to IDSA's COVID-19 podcast series that aims to keep IDSA members, medical professionals, and the public informed during this pandemic by talking with experts in the field of infectious diseases. In this episode, we'll be talking with Dr. Jeannie Marazzo, Professor of Medicine and Director of the Division of Infectious Diseases at the University of Alabama at Birmingham, and Dr. Josh Barocas, Assistant Professor of Medicine at the Boston University School of Medicine and Infectious Diseases Physician at Boston Medical Center, about new masking guidance from the CDC. Thank you both for joining us today. The CDC recently announced changes to their masking recommendations, indicating that those who have been vaccinated no longer need to wear a mask. Dr. Marazzo, can you tell us more about what the full recommendation from CDC included and why there was so much confusion following their announcement? The CDC, I call it the bombshell announcement, happened on a Thursday. Always good when you get these things before the weekend. The announcement basically said in a very black and white way that people who were fully vaccinated, namely if you've had two doses of the two-dose vaccines or one of the uh, single-dose vaccine, that you did not have to wear a mask. And the only exceptions to their permissiveness really were were situations where you were in close quarters and there was concern about ventilation, namely the things that they called out were public transport. So, you know, subway cars, buses, trains, that sort of thing. The challenge with the recommendation was not just the precipitous nature of the way the announcement was made. It really gave no public health authorities, no institutional agencies, including educational institutions, workplaces, really no chance to get their ducks in a row before everybody heard that they didn't have to wear a mask if they were vaccinated. So I think that was one big challenge and that contributed to the confusion. The other big challenge is that the guidance did not acknowledge what most of us are really concerned about, which is we have no way of knowing who's vaccinated or not. So everything that we do when we take a mask off and we are in a setting where there could conceivably be transmission of the virus relies on trusting other people to have been vaccinated. Now, there are probably some places, and I think we're going to talk about this in the United States, where that assumption is very reasonable. There are other places, including in my state, where that assumption is exceedingly not reasonable. So for example, I heard last week that in our state, only 14% of people aged 30 to 49 have been fully vaccinated. Those are people you're going to encounter, certainly when you go out into any of the settings we're talking about. So the major issue with the CDC guidance was the precipitous nature of the announcement and the lack of detail about how to actually help people implement these. And the third thing I'll mention is that there was no caveat for people who might be more vulnerable to getting infected or who might not be able to or have the maximum benefit for the vaccine. So no comment about people who were immunocompromised. And there are quite a few people in the country for whom we don't have great data yet that these vaccines are as robustly protective as they are for immunocompetent people. 
Thank you, Dr. Marazzo. Dr. Barocas, take us a step back and talk about the science behind masking. What factors go into the local or state level decision to continue masking mandates? This is a, a topic, I think, or I guess an intervention rather, right? So masking is an intervention that really has evolved alongside the pandemic. So if we go back a little bit in the early days of the pandemic, not that many of us want to revisit that, but in March and, and April of last year, we didn't have a lot of information about how this particular coronavirus was being spread. So as a result, there was almost this notion that we just try to throw a lot of stuff at the wall and hopefully something sticks. But there was a lot of confusion early on about the effectiveness of each of those interventions, masks included, specifically at preventing disease, especially in the general public. I think that in hospitals and in healthcare settings, the throwing everything at the wall notion just said, we're going to throw everything at the wall because we we can, but in the general public, this was this is unknown. A lot of confusion was created because what didn't happen is this upfront discussion about the evolving knowledge, that this was an evolving process as we were going through it. That said, data quickly demonstrated that masks, both in the general public and in healthcare settings, were absolutely crucial to spreading the control of the virus, but we're just one tool in that toolbox of prevention. And I always go back to this idea that, you know, unless you were, uh, had locked yourself in your basement with canned pears and no one else around you, your risk of, of anything is never zero. And certainly your risk of coronavirus was never zero. But adding masks in the public setting to things like increased ventilation, being in low density settings, so maintaining social distancing from others, not being in crowded indoor spaces, all of these things do and still do reduce the risk of transmission. So we as a public health community, I think we tried to mobilize around this multifaceted approach, which included masks, but we had to play a lot of catch up. They are not a perfect intervention, but when we combine them with other interventions, specifically before vaccines, they were incredibly effective. Now we have vaccines. And so what we have to do in on a state by state, local jurisdiction by local jurisdiction decision is look at our vaccine uptake. I think we need to be looking at uh, the number of people, as Dr. Marazzo said, who may or may not be immunocompromised. And instead of writ large getting rid of mask mandates, what we need to do is take this back to local jurisdictions to say, look, we've got this percentage of people who are fully vaccinated. We've got this percentage of people who are immunocompromised and and of children who aren't vaccinated at this point. And we need to make sure that the decisions are coming based on science, not based on political pressure. Many states at this point have lifted their outdoor mask mandates. Some states still have a mandate for unvaccinated people, or at least an advisory for people who are unvaccinated. I hope, I can't say for certain how these 
decisions are necessarily being made and what factors are going into it. But I hope that these are being driven by local data on cases, on vaccine uptake, on immunocompromised population. I think that we're in an encouraging phase of the epidemic in the U.S. where the science is is guiding us toward the fact that mandates may not be needed at this time. And I hope that this phase lasts for an indefinite amount of time. But I think that we have to be honest that when we talk about decisions stepping up or stepping back on uncertain uh, masking or other prevention interventions, we have to understand that this is still a fluid process. IDSA and the CDC present the COVID-19 Real-Time Learning Network. Timely COVID-19 information curated by clinicians for clinicians. Be the first to know. Visit IDSA's COVID-19 Real-Time Learning Network for the latest COVID-19 resources for the frontline healthcare community. Go to COVID19LearningNetwork.org. Dr. Marazzo, you mentioned that some people cannot receive the COVID-19 vaccine. Can you talk about who that includes and what this change in masking recommendations means for them? It's actually quite remarkable that the mRNA vaccines, which include the Moderna and Pfizer B&B vaccines, really have very few contraindications. Contraindications meaning reasons not to give the vaccine. The, the main two are if you had a severe allergic reaction after a previous dose of this vaccine or you've had a severe allergic reaction to any ingredient of this vaccine. Now, we knew and heard about when these vaccines were initially rolling out of a few cases of anaphylaxis, of severe allergies. No one died from that, but a couple people had to actually be hospitalized and have treatment for what looked like a pretty severe allergic reaction. As we've had time to vaccinate now over, goodness, 100 million people in the United States, just an incredibly high number of people, 101, I think as of April 1st, we really have not seen, I would say, a concerning number of these reactions. Now, the other question though is severe allergic reaction to any ingredient. And there are some things in the vaccine that people have asked about, for example, polyethylene glycol or other stability elements. If you've had a reaction to any vaccine in the past, then you really wanna to try to figure out what that was about. If it is something that you think was specific to that vaccine that may not be in these newer vaccines, then you're probably okay. But that's where you probably wanna to talk to somebody who really understands what the different elements of these vaccine compositions are. Those are the sort of basic things. Now, if you're talking about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, that's a little bit different, right? That's the adenovirus-based vaccine, not an mRNA vaccine. And the concerns with those vaccines, for better or worse, are really more around the hypercoagulability issues that we have seen. These are not common, but I think it is worrisome enough that if you do have a history of something like that, you probably want to talk to your doctor about that just to be sure. There are no clear recommendations to avoid it, but I think it is worth noting. The other thing you can see 
with this vaccine, in addition to some clotting, is related to that, and that is thrombocytopenia or low platelets. So if you've had a history of low platelets, for example, if you've gotten heparin and you've had low platelets to that, or if you've had ITP, which is idiopathic thrombocytopenia or immune thrombocytopenia, you probably want to be in contact and really talk to somebody about whether that is the best vaccine for you. I personally would, if I had any of hematologic issues like that, I would not opt for the J&J vaccine. So I think those are a couple of things to think about. The good thing about the landscape for vaccines is we're getting enough different platforms. So everybody knows about the mRNA platform. We know about the viral vector platform, which is the J&J vaccine, the AstraZeneca vaccine. And then we're also gonna have uh, protein platforms, the Sanofi platform and a couple of others, uh, Novavax. So odds are good that in the coming months, maybe in the coming year, we will have more of a portfolio of platforms that should help people with these kind of vulnerabilities get around these extremely unlikely but real events. This question is for both of you. A lot of people, both vaccinated and unvaccinated, have questions about when and where it might be safe to take off their masks in public. What practical advice can you offer them? Dr. Barocas, let's start with you. Let's, for a minute, let's take out special cases, uh, specifically people who might be immunocompromised. So if you're not an immunocompromised person, at this particular moment in the pandemic, vaccinated individuals can feel pretty comfortable going maskless in public places, indoor and outdoor, for themselves. And I think that this is a really important distinction. Our actions still impact other people. Our behaviors still impact other people we have to have a little bit of situational awareness as well. We have to maintain that situational awareness. If I'm vaccinated and I know that the, the majority of people around me are vaccinated, we can all feel fairly comfortable that our risk is very low, uh, specifically going maskless. Now, for unvaccinated people, certainly their risk of infection becomes lower and lower as the number of people around them are vaccinated, but their risk is always going to be higher than a vaccinated person. There, there's some startling data out there right now. The vast majority of people in the U.S. who are currently hospitalized or infected with COVID are unvaccinated. In some places, I saw data recently that 97% of people being hospitalized are unvaccinated. And certainly anecdotally, if you talk to people who are in the hospitals right now taking care of patients, the ICUs, the COVID units, they are largely unvaccinated people. So the, the most practical advice I can give is if I'm an unvaccinated person right now, I would seriously consider both wearing a mask in all indoor places. But more importantly, I would seriously consider getting vaccinated. I know that there is there are uh, people have concerns. I understand uh, that this is this is all new to, to so many people. And we are all so tired and so worn out and probably have a little bit of information overload. But the best practical advice is to get vaccinated. Now, if you're 
a vaccinated person, the risk to you and really the risk to people that are in your immediate vicinity are fairly low. And I think that the probability uh, that a person gets infected outdoors, masks or no masks, in a low density setting is really, really low. One thing that I, I mentioned is that there's this differentiation between personal risk and population risk. As much as we are all wanting to think about what's best for ourselves, it is still crucial that we think about our community, the people around us, and knowing that mask mandates are not, people are going to have different levels of comfort at this time. And I think what we can all strive for is a little bit of understanding, empathy, and patience. So if you're with someone and you're vaccinated and, or you go into an establishment that is still requiring masks, people have been traumatized for the past 12 months. We have told people over and over, rightfully so, that this is a very dangerous virus, that this is a deadly pandemic. And as such, it's going to take people a little bit of time to be comfortable taking their mask off outside. So just because someone doesn't want to take their mask off, just because they're asking you to keep your mask on, I think that a little bit of, of empathy goes a long way right now. You know, for me, I, when I think about just people in general, so vaccinated or not, particularly when you think about new variants emerging, right? I mean, we, we are hopeful that we're going to be protected if we've been fully vaccinated against whatever comes up in the next several months. But let's just assume that you want to be as safe as possible, even if you've been vaccinated. I think the two things that I try to weigh are the airflow, like in, in the place that I'm considering going. I, I agree with Josh that being outdoors is absolutely safe. I can't think of very many situations where I would feel compelled to wear a mask outdoors unless I was in a very crowded stadium where literally people are sitting a half an inch away from me and drinking beer and um, maybe spewing a lot of yelling and all that sort of fun stuff you do when you're at a, a game. Um, that might get me to rethink it. But in general, good airflow is really key. In a crowded bar without much ventilation, I would be very cautious and personally would still probably wear a mask, which is probably why I'm not going to be in a crowded bar anytime very soon. The other factor I think is important is what's the situation in the background? What's your background prevalence? There are places right now that are having such low rates of infection that it's very reasonable in my mind to think about going out to dinner in a restaurant and not sitting outside and not wearing my mask. There are other places that I would be much more cautious about. So I would just weigh both of those things. I also really want to thank Josh for mentioning this issue of trying to respect people's experience, their anxiety, their fear. It really doesn't take much to comply by wearing a mask. We've been talking about this for a long time. And then this other issue of getting vaccinated. I think one of the things we've been talking about, and when we look at that low vaccine rate in our young adults, here, I think a lot of people are still thinking about this as a seasonal problem. It's like, oh, this is going to go away just like everything else did, like SARS did, like influenza does every year. I'm not sure what these folks realize is that the reason we're in a good place right now is because of vaccination. It's not because the virus is dying out. It's not because it's getting wimpier or it's getting less infectious. 
So continuing to emphasize the need for vaccine and, and the reality that this we are not out of the woods yet is really critical. The combination of weather warming up and the lifting of some masking mandates may feel to some as though the pandemic is behind us. Dr. Barocas, how would you respond to those who may feel that way? My, my one word answer is no. But to be a little bit more in depth with that, the pandemic is most certainly not behind us. And, and I think that the first thing that we have to do is define who us is. I live in Massachusetts right now, and we have very low prevalence. Our positivity rates are very, very low. But as of, as of a week ago, we had half a million recorded new cases of COVID worldwide. That was a single day on 528. And we had at least 11,000 new deaths. And places like Brazil, India, these are places that are where other human beings live and are being ravaged by this pandemic right now. In large swaths of the U.S. We're at numbers that we haven't seen in more than a year, in, in, in a good way. But people are still dying. People are still getting infected. The people who are getting infected are largely either unvaccinated or vulnerable populations who either don't have access to the vaccine, have multiple comorbidities, are immunocompromised, as we've talked about. What we're in is a new phase of the pandemic for people in the U.S. I, I don't mean to sound like too much of an ominous warning, but it's not behind us. You know, in the history of infections in humans, we've really only successfully eradicated smallpox, one disease. And that was through largely through mass vaccination efforts, we've not eradicated this virus. And so, especially with variants, especially with unequal, not just unequal, but unequitable access to vaccines worldwide, this can change on a dime. People in the U.S. need to know that at any moment, this virus or another may force us to return to a state of abnormalcy. We've been talking so much about the return to normalcy, and we are so delighted to be in this place where weather is warming and everybody's taking their masks off and it feels normal, but we might have to plan, we do have to plan for a return to abnormalcy. It's not a fun thought. I know that most people don't have the capacity to think about that right now. But if we think just for a moment, we've got climate change, we've got deforestation, we've got growing inequity gaps, we are likely destined for more pandemics. And so to paraphrase Dr. Walensky, I think we can feel comfortable in the US right now putting away our masks in a drawer, but I'm not throwing mine away. People have said to me, um, people who've been vaccinated, when they talk about kind of going out into the world, they are reassured. I think they feel protected by being vaccinated. But the other thing is that we've been also touting this fact that if you, if you get vaccinated, you're less likely to have severe illness. And I think that's true. And that's a really big thing. But I want to remind people that even when you don't get hospitalized with this infection, this is not a good disease to get. We have many people 
who not only have had very rough outpatient courses, but even equally worrisome is the post-COVID or long all COVID, whatever you want to call it, we're calling it post-COVID or post-acute uh, sequelae of, of SARS-CoV-2. This is a real thing. And this is happening in people who are exactly the age group that we are probably seeing the lowest vaccination rates in. So again, I want to come back to this perception that things are over, it's done, the virus is kind of, we've beaten the virus. And I think this point about, you know, this one world situation that Josh mentions is usually important. It's not good to get, and it's not good to get whatever age you are, because the likelihood that you are, especially if you're not vaccinated, going to have some issue, um, I think is, is definitely, definitely there. So I, I would, I would really remind people about that and emphasize that. Think about your friends and family last year. How many of them did you see with a cold? Or how many cases of flu did you see? We saw no pediatric deaths from influenza in the state of Alabama last year. And we typically have around 20 kids who who died from influenza. When Josh talks about this staying abnormal, I think about the new normal and thinking about what do we want to trade for the ability to go back to extreme normalcy, which was, of course, goodness gracious, throw the mask out and burn it. We had benefit from wearing masks last year that went beyond our ability to control COVID. I don't think we've talked enough about that. And when people start getting sick again this year, when we start to see influenza deaths in particular climb, we're going to have to revisit this issue. So worth keeping on the radar for sure. At this time, I'd like to thank Drs. Morazzo and Barocas for their time, participation, and expertise. For the latest information and resources on the COVID-19 pandemic, visit IDSA's website, idsociety.org, and don't forget to follow us on social media. Tune in next time as another diverse panel of medical experts discusses the latest on this rapidly evolving pandemic. I'm Amanda Jessick. The views and opinions expressed here are those of the presenters and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Involvement of CDC should not be viewed as endorsement of any entity or individual involved with the podcast.